Welcome to Pottywood. I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and I'm an idiot because I didn't press record the first time we did this. And we've just gotten through the entire thing, haven't we? And I have got through in this entire ice lolly in that time. Yes. And now it's just ending. And it was brilliant. It was epic. It was like the Ben-Hur of openings for an episode. It was. It was and so I'll be good. glad to put episode 13 behind us, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, episode 13 seems to be just a mishmash of technical issues and incompetence. Part of which is completely out of our control, as you'll find out later. And uh, The other half is incompetence. Yeah, the other, the other part is me, who didn't actually press record the first time we did this. So, yay. And I've just dropped my lolly on my fucking shorts. I hate the 13th. <laughs> this episode, I want to go home. <laughs> Oh, the problem is we are home as well. I know. It's hot as hell. Yes, it is. It's currently stupid temperature here in the UK, and we're not built for this. Now, are you sure you're recording? I'm definitely recording, yes. Right. I guess we can carry on then. Yes. Well, speaking of incompetence, that moves us very nicely on to our what's in the bag. What's in the bag? What's in the Jesus b- Christ. <laughs> it's what's in the box. 13, this is cursed, I'm telling you. Everyone who listens to this show is going to die. This is cursed, <laughs> that is cursed. He's not happy unless he's got a good curse. Yeah, you screwed up that segue. So what's in the box, yes, carry on. Yes, what's in the box. Speaking of incompetence, that, let's talk about last week's What's in the Box, which was the 2007 John Dahl movie You Killed Me, starring Ben Kingsley, Tia Leone, and Luke Wilson. Yes, it was that one. Yes, it was. Uh, it's a story about an alcoholic hitman who screws up a hit that he was supposed to carry out for his boss and then leads to all kinds of troubles. And his boss says, you know, I've had enough. You're going over to San Francisco from Buffalo, New York, and you are going into AA. You are getting a day job and you are sorting yourself out because you are no use to us. And he does. He goes over to San Francisco, joins the Alcoholics Anonymous program and becomes a mortician. And it's it's a nice little character study. It's uh, he's got some good performances from uh, the main cast. And uh, don't really think too much of Ben Kingsley's accent, though. It was incredibly dodgy. Yes, but I, I think it may go from incredibly dodgy all the way around to awesome, depending on if Ben Kingsley intended it that way. Could be. I mean, it's it's a fun enough film. It's got some. Um, it's got some good laughs. I don't think it's particularly chuckle-worthy, though. And it's quirky. I, it's quirky, yeah, but I don't think they lean into their premise too much. You know, He is a hitman, and he has moments like where he tells his entire AA group that he's a killer. And they all just go, okay, yeah, fine, we're going to support you here anyway because you're coming out to us and as an alcoholic. And it's got moments like that which remind me of Gross Point Blank. Yes. Uh, but the, the the humor is very along that line. Yeah, but Gross Point Blank properly steers into that. You know, you've got moments like the shootout in the the convenience store. You have got the the fight in the school corridor, the ending battle, and they all kind of build and stack up. Whereas this, it's got a good feel to it. It's got a good pace to it. But then ultimately, by the time it gets to the end, everything just kind of stops. It feels it falls like apart like a flan in a cupboard. Like a, a flan in a cupboard? Yeah. Okay. I'll do that again. <laughs> okay. No, I don't know what a flan in a cupboard falls apart like. I really don't. Okay. It falls apart like an MFI wardrobe. <laughs> For our younger viewers out there, MFI was a... Think think a crap Ikea. Yes, that fell apart. Yeah. So you've got a, a good supporting cast. You've got Bill Pullman, who kind of reminds me of the guy from Office Space in this because of his glasses. I forgot Bill Pullman was in it. That's yeah, brilliant. so did I. Like I say, this is the second time we've attempted to record this. And I, did, I mentioned everybody else last time. And we didn't mention Bill Pullman. So yeah, he's in it. You've got Dennis Farina playing an Irishman. <laughs> That's just baffling. You know, he's the yeah. most Italian-Irish person that I've ever seen. Uh, and then you've got Philip Baker Hall, who is Ben Kingsley's uncle which is weird because there's only like about 10 years worth of difference between the two of them anyway. And he would have been better. Better switching roles, basically. Yeah. But no, it's a, it's a funny enough film. 
It's got some decent jokes, like when uh, Taylor Leone asks Ben Kingsley to put on these tennis shoes on her dead stepfather's feet, and she, uh, not tennis shoes, bowling shoes, and he says, oh, might have to break his toes to get them on. You know, nice little dry wit that's going on. Wasn't too keen on her character, though. She was very flat. And I mean flat as in, not as in kind of like her delivery, but the character is just very, it's all very on one level. It's all very kind of stoic and, you know. Taylor Leone has a kind of history with that kind of character delivery, though. There's a few films where she's, she just comes across very, I don't want to say monotone, but sometimes hmm. it's like, I don't I don't know the correct verbiage for it because it's too f***ing hot. <laughs> but... <laughs> I know that Taylor Leone has had some roles where it's just been like, this would have been better if someone acted in it. And that's not being mean to Taylor Well, it is being a bit mean to Taylor Leone. But in Bad Boys, she was actually really annoying. In Deep Impact, she's the only person I know who could undersell a tidal wave coming to wipe her, her and her dad out. <laughs> and honestly, watch it. It's not her fault. I, I don't know... The directors should really just look at the stuff that she's in and say, mm. yeah, yeah, can we do that a bit differently? Because if that's the take, how shit must the other ones have been? Yeah. I had this conversation with an actress friend of mine the other day in, in talking about you know the difference of when a director works with you and a director doesn't work with you. There's a difference between a director actually spending time to work on the character, give them an understanding, help them level out the delivery and stuff like that to, to get the right mood and flow. And the other directors who just stick a script in front of them saying, here, uh, read this out, I'm going to concentrate on how the shot looks. So, yeah, you've kind of got the difference there between Spielberg and Lucas, haven't you? Ooh. And then, let's, let's not mince words here, Lucas was famous for not being a uh, an actor's director. His sole direction always seemed to be faster and more intense. It's a hard balance. And the yeah. thing is, you can get away with... A shot not looking right. You can't get away with a performance not being right. No. Speaking of shots, though, I thought it had some good lighting. Um, I thought the colours on it were really nice. Some nice cinematography. Some nice uh, crunchy blacks. As uh, as I thought, it I think it's the best way to describe it as. And it also had a luxurious Canada setting posing as San Francisco and very noticeable. Well, not that noticeable. To me, but no, he only had one day of shooting in San Francisco, which I thought was really, really, really good use of time. It's very true. I'm glad yeah. I told you that. Yes, and I'm also glad that I didn't find that out as one of the only three facts that are listed down on IMDb. So I don't know about you, Andy, but I think we're just getting ready to move on with the rest of the show. I think we are too. I think we need some anniversaries. Watch them again all of the time, or oh, we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. There's only two types from Texas, boy. Which are you? I'm the bad boy type. Oh, oh, who is that? <laughs> that we is our even guest. Introduced you yet? <laughs> get back in your box. That's the rule. Go on. Bad. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody guests overtaking the show. If it wasn't bad with Matthew last week stealing our What's in the Box plug. I know. Let's face (sighs) facts. He nailed that perfectly. He did. He did nail it. It was refreshing to know that someone actually listens to us. Yeah. So anyway, we're into anniversaries this week. As last week, we only had one, which was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. This week, Steve, you're going to be happy to know that there are one, two, three, four. Oh, yay. All right, then, Andy. What's the first one? Well, put it this way. I'm going to be amazed if you have not seen these. And if you haven't, then my opinion of you drops even lower than it already is. That'll be tough. Let's face facts. (laughs) God, God. Your opinion of me is already in the gutter. Yes, as it always has been. So let's start with 35 years. Do you know that 35 years ago this week... Aliens was released. Now, yeah, you, there's no way that I can possibly not have seen that movie. It is a classic movie, and I will say this: James Cameron is one of his best. It really is. He, he back when he was like that hungry director that just wanted to make really interesting stories, as opposed to uh, 
dances with Smurfs, and that was back when th- he was doing things that was interesting. And even though it was a sequel, it was so well done. I love that movie so, so much. I could watch that again and again and again and again. Great performances across the board. You know, the late uh, Bill... Is it Bill Pullman Paxton. or Bill Paxton? Because <laughs> even, even to this day, I still get the two of them mixed up. Bill Paxton. Just, uh, yeah. Yes. It, it, it's a it's a peerless movie. And an absolutely fantastic James Horner soundtrack as well. Yes. Can you believe, Steve, 25 years ago this week, Happy Gilmore was released? That I have also seen. I really yeah. enjoy that movie. It's one of the it's one of the few Adam Sandler movies that I do really like. And it came from that period back when he was actually putting effort into his comedies as opposed to just using them as marketing gimmicks for Sony. You mean back back before he was just like writing stuff saying, Hey, uh, we're all in Hawaii for this movie so I can bring all my friends to Hawaii. Yeah, this isn't a paid for vacation. Honest. I know. See I'd do that, but I'd end up taking all my friends to Salford. Yeah, oh God. Right, exactly. you're no friend of mine then. Oh, before you move on though, one thing that I will say is what? that, and I think this still applies now, is pretty much every single character that is his girlfriend in a movie has an alliterative name. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but I do remember reading them, and they are all alliterative names. He just has a thing for it. Okay, there you go. Trivia! Well, 20 years ago, can you believe, Steve, we were subjected, is that the right word? We were subjected to Jurassic Park 3. Uh, it, it, it's, it's nowhere near as good as the first two, got to be honest. No. Although saying that, though, I still don't like the very end of uh, Lost World because he's just tacked on. But I've got to admit, 3 was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I've got to admit that I went to the cinemas to see this and really was surprised how quickly I was out of that cinema. (laughs) You weren't a fan then? No, it's just the film is an hour and a half long. Uh, Yeah, that's another thing as well. It is really, really short. I mean, this is where we say, you know, oh, we're trusting Joe Johnson, Rocketeer, Mm -hmm. of course, uh, with the Jurassic Park franchise, but we're not going to give you two hours. No, No. let's let's see what you can do with an hour and a half. Not much, apparently. No. No, but at least, you know, William H. Macy does his best. And so does Taylor Leone, so... Oh, everyone did their best, except for, you know, the people who made the film. Um, I'm not a fan of Jurassic Park 3. But can you believe, Steve, for our fourth and final for this week? Mm-hmm. 30 years ago this week, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was released, which also means that this was the start of the 30 years uh... that Brian Adams was at number one. Yeah. Yeah, if you're listening to this outside of the UK... You might be familiar with the film. You might be familiar with the song. What you won't be familiar with is having to listen to the damn song every single day because it was played nonstop on every single radio station, TV music program. It, it was everywhere. It's you, it was ubiquitous. It was stayed at number one for the better part of a year. It's just, oh, kill me now. Yes, you, you never knew what it was like growing up as a teenager in high school. Just praying that someone knocks off Brian Adams from the charts every week. Mm. And it didn't happen. Every week. No. You're crushed. Destroyed. And yeah, the, the movie itself. I uh, like the, the film. Re- yeah. It's, you know, it's the best uh, American Robin Hood movie you can get. And Alan Rickman just, he's chewing the scenery so much. He's, mwah, mwah. we miss you, Alan. We really do. Uh, apparently the story is that... Um, you know, obviously, the the extended edition of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves has been released uh, when it came out on DVD, uh, which had all of Alan Rickman's scenes put back into it. And apparently from what the rumour I've been told was that Kevin Costner was so scared of being outshone by Alan Rickman that he actually pulled his weight to have all of his scenes trimmed down. You see, I'd never heard of that. I didn't even know there was a director's cut. Oh, you've not seen the uh, the full version of it? No, apparently not. Oh, it's full Rickman. You know, Rickman gets so much screen time. Uh, it's fabulous. You have to track it down. I love that wonderful line where he's just screen. You, my room, 10.30. You, 10.45. Bring a friend. It's just, <laughs> it's, I love it. I absolutely adore that film. For him, more than anything else. Uh, so that's the kind of anniversaries. But also, I wanted to grab just a little thing here because... Steve, do you know that Snake Eyes is being released this week? 
What, the Nicolas Cage movie? No, the G.I. Joe movie. You are aware that they have rebooted the G.I. Joe movie franchise and they've gone like G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes. No, I wasn't. And it is being released this week. And as a person whose very first G.I. Joe or Action Force, if you're from the UK, I've got to understand the story one day of why G.I. Joe was called Action Force over here. I think think it was... to tie in with Action Man. No, well, partially to tie in with Action Man, but I also think it was partially because that kids growing up during the early 80s had no idea what a GI was. You know, well, when you get older, yeah. you realise, okay, that's a name given to, I think it was a general infantry soldier yes. during the Second World War. So it's, okay, right, I get it. I understand why it's GI. But, you know, when you're a kid, the only thing that you know about is, right, can this action figure beat this action figure? That's it. You don't give a toss about the names and everything, so... Now, I was more along the lines of, can this action figure survive three weeks without a leg falling off? Oh, yeah, because we kept on with an elastic band of the, of the torso, wasn't it? Yes. The, oh, the most so flimsiest fragile. action figures. Nine ninety nine to just be disappointed. Sounds like Salford, really. But You've got it in for Salford this week, haven't you? Oh, I got a lot of abuse online for that episode where, where we uh, mocked Salford. And the thing is, Salford's not actually that bad, but... It it goes to prove that the people who were giving me online abuse, once I kind of decoded their language in what they were writing, because you know the spelling was just atrocious. Um, well, they're only using kind of like nubs of fingers, really. <laughs> True. Yes. <laughs> what is it? Six toes on each wrist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've just fueled that for the next. Well, right up to Christmas now. Hey, look, I. I I don't care. Look, Salford, if you're listening, we love you. But, you know, your parents yes. are worried about you. If you're listening on the mobile phone, you've just robbed from somebody. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, so yes, uh, a G.I. Joe movie has been released this week. And um, not it's not Ray Park anymore. So Ray Park is no longer... G.I. Joe because of his... Um, Is he not uh, making his... songs for the Ghostbusters movie again either? That's Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> God, Ray, no, Ray Parker was Darth Maul. I know he was. And he, he had a bit of it to do with uh, some sending some videos to a female, a fan or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to misquote the situation, but he's not Darth Maul anymore because of it. Disney have been like, well, no. And now he's not Snake Eyes either. Right. So. Okay. Sorry, Ray. Yeah, we're anyway. not we're not touching that one. No, and neither Which was is she, she's apparently. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, anyway, that's, it's that's warm and we've got silly heads on, and it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a Thursday. This is what happens. So, uh, well, I guess we've got to kind of let our guest into the room. So how how in the hell do I give today's guest the proper introduction that rivals the amount of talent that she has? And I can't. I just can't do it. Around four or five years ago, I was fortunate to meet this actress in Los Angeles and getting to see her work. I knew that her evolution was going to be something just spectacular moving forward. And it's one of those rare occasions where I actually undersold my expectations. One thing's for certain. She is someone who makes you turn your head and take notice when she is on screen. From roles in American Horror Story, Bosch, Veronica Mars, House MD, How I Met Your Mother, sorry, How I Met Your Mother, Yay! and an incredible scene-stealing performance in The Rookie, all the way to her three-season run so far on The Rich and the Ruthless as Ebby Abernathy. Got the name right, perfect. Elizabeth J. Carlyle has given some of the most dedicated performances to earn her the label I give her as the most dedicated actress in the business today. So much so, it's been the hardest guest we've have tried to work around getting on the show. I've worked with her through the pandemic last year on a project known as Smoking Jacket, and we're working to get that back into production, uh, where she's just been fabulous every step of the way. So joining us from Los Angeles, Elizabeth, are you still here with us? Hello. You're sounding a lot clearer than Andy is this afternoon. <laughs> That was some introduction, and that's really... Thank you so much. That's uh, very nice. Oh, not a problem. It only took me three takes. 
you know what? Each take was more brilliant than the last. It, literally, they were. And I got to say, I so enjoy listening to your podcast. I was especially oh, thank you very moved. Much. You're welcome. First of all, you both have beautiful voices. And secondly, the conversation you had on, I believe, one of your earlier podcasts was so moving uh, about the movie that you had seen uh, where there was a killer vagina with sharp oh, teeth in it, and I just—that um, sounds like a, a could be an Emmy contender. That was a that was a weird movie. It was one of those movies where, it, like I think I said in the review, it could have gone one way or it could have gone the other. It could have been a proper all-out comedy or a proper horror, and it just didn't know what to do with either. It was just a disappointment. I don't want to watch that movie again. It, it was um, eh. well, hey, we're happy that people may have actually gone and seen that movie. Yeah, and and more to the point, we're happy that someone was actually listening to us. <laughs> we don't even listen to each other. No. By the time I finished editing it, I never want to listen to it again. We're, we don't actually record this together. We're two separate people on different podcasts. <laughs> and uh, we, we just edit together, too. So anyway, Elizabeth, it's fantastic to have you here. And you're, you're what I like to class as a true journey woman in this business. One of those talents that really drives on hard work, you know, you have a lot of pride in actually forging career instead of trying to hit one overnight on social media platforms or or all that other stuff, you know, and it's very reflected in your performance skills. And yeah, it's just fabulous. Thank you. I probably should be more active on social media, Uh, but, uh, but I'm not sometimes, uh, you know, Life gets in the way, and uh, but I've got to get back on there. It's not all it's cracked up to be, though. Hey, look, you can never see too many cat videos. Cat videos, dog videos, baby... Well, not baby videos, but... Now, you want to be one of those actors that stays off the social media, because if I saw you doing hashtag actors life, we probably wouldn't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deep cut, which only about three people are going to understand what it is that we're talking about as well. Oh, I... I we... Definitely. Andrew and I have talked about that before. Um, yeah, <laughs> we were both not fans. <laughs> no one. No one's fans, really, of Hashtag Actors Life. No, I, I have this chat and I'm actually going to spill this here. For people who put the hashtag Actors Life and love to like instantly take a posing photograph of yourself outside of an audition room and saying, oh, I've just auditioned for this, that and the other. If you're wondering why you're not getting called back, it's because instantly these people think that you're too much of a loudmouth, that you would go against your confidentiality agreement. Have a bit of professionalism. That's true, because a lot of auditions do make you sign NDAs, and you are not, for many auditions, you're not supposed to post about it on social media, at least until it airs. And, and hopefully, you were cast in it when it aired. So, you know, it's, it's a sticky situation. Exactly. Yeah, well, speaking of uh, things with NDAs, we've also got our own little project, haven't we? Smoking jacket, which we can't go into in great detail, but I can actually say, because Andy has given you an absolutely marvellous and glowing introduction, but I can say, having actually seen you just in the read-through of Smoking Jacket, it was actually really, really good to watch, and I was actually upset that we didn't have more stuff to do together in it oh thank you you know what i felt the same way about you you are naturally funny and when it's made your your character is going to be brilliant yeah well we'll see i i've I've got high hopes for you (laughs) i think we've all got high hopes for this movie so it's it's going to be very exciting it's going to be very exciting and i think that's all the nda is allowing me to say yes yes well we met at the infamous blue elephant cafe (laughs) (sighs) yes beautifully designed but the worst tea an englishman will ever experience in his life (laughs) you were so you were so polite about it you know, we're meeting for the first. So, so this is one of those times when you actually meet someone on social media and you meet up with them. There's no axe murdering going on. It's just a really lovely, friendly interaction. Meeting for the first time, and he, he, you know, Andrew orders tea, and he didn't even show on his face how disgusted he was by it. It was so impressive. Yeah, it was. It was horrible. It was kind of earth tea stack type stuff, wasn't it? It was. Um... It don't have to be like, oh, strawberry tea or lemon tea, this, that, or the other. And I'm just like, okay, I'll, you know what? Uh, I can't obviously get a cup of tea. 
No. You know, I have to get one of these specialty ones made by this bearded guy in the back. You know, he's <laughs> hasn't had a pupil in his eyeball since the 60s. And um, <laughs> they bring out, um, me, and, me and Elizabeth are sitting at this table when we're talking, they bring their drinks out to us. And mine is this red tea that looks like Ribena in a jar. The hell right? is that? In a jar that you keep marmalade in. And I'm like, is this, are they going to put a candle in it or something? What's going on? I was like, no, this is your drink. I took one sip out of it and I'm listening to Elizabeth. She's talking to me. I take one sip out of it and I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst thing. And if I show disgust in my face right now, she's going to think I'm reacting to what she's saying. And for the entire hour and a half, I think we were in that coffee shop. This tea just stayed on this table and didn't go down at you all. You know, didn't, didn't you go back and get a Coca-Cola? I think I did, yeah. I thought, I'm seriously dehydrating from the talking. So I was like, can I just get a Coke? And please, God, tell me it is actually Coke and not just some black putty that you put in a thing. We make our own artisanal Coke from the finest <laughs> ingredients. Yes. Oh, God. No, we Brits are very, very specific about the tea. And, yeah, you know, you can get away with... with PG tips or, you know, Thai food or something, it's fine. But we just want a cup of PG tips or Thai food. The moment you've got some weird elderberry concoction <laughs> with lemongrass and... No, no, just give me give me something which will stain the inside of my mug. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't like bloody iced tea. You will never find anyone here in the UK who drinks iced tea. And if they are, they've been murdered a long time ago. <laughs> Now that is not to bad mouth. We're, we're not. We're not. Say, we're not just saying we dislike the Blue Elephant. For anyone who frequents the Blue Elephant, it's a lovely place. Oh, it's a wonderful like, place. If you like pre-sweetened elderberry tea, then you know what? That's your. That's your go-to. It's the best place for something you're going to hate. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. <laughs> but no, Blue Blue Elephant is a wonderful place. I don't even know if it's opened again since the pandemic, uh, because every time I look at it, it keeps saying closed. So, and um, it is a beautiful place. You know, it, it's you've got books and everything that you can just pull off these cabinets and read while you're trying to enjoy your tea. It's choking an, down it the elderberry. Yes. How was the coffee then? We didn't have coffee. You know, it was a very hot day. I th- was it the summertime or the, or the late spring? It was, I think it was around June. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It would have been, I remember it being a hot day. Yeah. Cause that's funny enough. I just saw the picture that we had taken together on that day and you can see the look of disappointment on my face that I'd been waiting for this tea all day. And, and you're happy smiling like, Oh, this is great. We've had a really nice time. And I'm just there like, Oh, if only that tea was nice. This would not have any bad memories whatsoever. But anyway, we've always looked to work together. We got to work together as Steve mentioned over the zoom rehearsals. And the thing that always, stood out to me with both of you actually is how prepared the both of you were to the point where everyone else involved was left awestruck on that first rehearsal and it forced some people to elevate their game and a lot of people said you know i, I want to reach a level where i can actually compete with how prepared these guys are e- even for something just like a zoom rehearsal how is your kind of preparation for that because obviously zoom is a lot different than actually going to a proper audition or rehearsal? That's a really good question. Because of the pandemic, all auditions have been self-tapes or via Zoom. Even my acting class has been via Zoom. So I prepared it as though I would prepare anything else. You know, I have this whole system where I, I, I write on my script and I'm like annotating and breaking it down and asking all these questions. and. And then I prepared as though I would an audition. And I didn't know what the level of preparedness would be with your other actors. So my fear is always not doing enough. So that was just the level of preparedness I thought would be appropriate. It, it feels false for me to come in with anything less than that. No, and you can definitely tell. Oh, you could. And I think he was telling as well, because I can't remember if you were actually there or if it was after you left, but I definitely said that just hearing you made me hate your character. Thank you. I thought that was great, just at the one-off. This is the first time that I'd heard the script off the page, and it was all coming to life, and you've done your turn, I'm there, just listening at the end, I thought, I really hate that character so much. And it yeah. was all because of the little nuances that you were putting in, the little um, 
it's hard to go into detail without actually saying what's actually happening, but it was all those little nuances and all those little attention to character details that you were putting into it. Thank you. I have to, to give credit where credit is due. The writing, I mean, if you have good writing, it's like it fits like a glove. The character fits me so well, and hmm. I'm not going to say too much, but it felt comfortable and I don't want to say easy, but it was just really comfortable. Great writing. Oh, thank you. You're I, welcome. I'll accept the love. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank, thank you for giving us actors easy, real words to put out of our mouth. Uh, well, oh. I got to agree, though, actually. It does help considerably when you've got something which is, I feel like you can take a bite out of. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best way to describe it. You know where that comes from? It's because when I write something, it has to be something kind of really personal. I've got to have an emotional involvement in it. You know, I think I couldn't go and write a, a Marvel movie or a DC movie. I'd take the money and give it my best shot, but it wouldn't be the same because the characters that I have to write have to have a bit of me in them. They have to have an evaluation of what I would do from that perspective. And I'm just glad to know that it translates really well. I'm more than happy every single time I see someone, a professional actor especially, delivering something above my expectations of what that character is and actually feeling that comfort that they can add their own perspective to it. It's very rare. A lot of people out there just need to ask so many questions about it. But seeing something on a page and actually going for it, it's perfect. So now that we've all figuratively blown each other. Yes, (laughs) indeed. Yeah, well, we're not the guests. You're the guests. I know, I was thinking that. We're the hosts. Elizabeth is the (laughs) guest. She she should be the one that's doing most of the talking at this point. I'd like to have a nice uh, repartee with you two gentlemen. (laughs) Oh. I like it. Well, naturally, uh, a lot of actors and creatives kind of took this past year. Most of them were really fretting over the lack of work as the industry kind of closed its doors. But one thing about you, I mean, you've always been adapting and kind of exploiting those avenues that you can create. And has that been kind of instilled from your like, initial training and, and how you were trained into this business? Good question. I uh, kind of am naturally creative. Even when I was little, I was always writing songs or writing little stories. And and so, you know, in the beginning of uh, when we had the lockdown here in, in California in March, I was so freaked out that I decided to make a couple of music videos about it. So that was a, a nice fun creative outlet a way to pass the time you know and maybe make fun of myself a little bit but I mean in terms of my training you gotta always be training as an actor it's like a dancer or a musician you you have to practice all the time or, or you'll lose it well speaking of training well you've just said you know it's it's a major component of well your tool set as an actor and you've studied comedic acting improv um and more over the years now how has this translated into the roles you've done in tv shows you know when you're able to stand your ground against big names like uh, hugh laurie when you did house or uh, titus welliver on bosch mm-hmm. i i think um if i go in prepared and i do what i am prepared to do and i listen in those smaller roles it's really important to pay attention technically you you don't always get a lot from the director it's more like on this line you need to land here with the drink on this line you need to be over here so it's just a lot of paying attention and i and you have to know also with those smaller roles that you're simply there to serve the storyline you leave your ego at the door you are there to serve titus welliver and hugh laurie i i am just there to move the storyline along so as long as i just show up do my job and leave i i know that i've 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 given them what they need from me well i have to talk about this this amazing comedic turn you put into the episode of the rookie that you were on at this for me and i've said this to you before it's a master class in comedic acting now for that role, how fierce was the competition for that? I did have an audition for it. And when I was in the waiting room, I saw maybe seven or eight other people that were auditioning. But because we have time slots, I didn't see everyone. So I don't know a grand total of actresses they saw. But they saw every 
it was a mix of ethnicities and ages. So they weren't really sure what they were looking for. One of my uh, secret weapons, I have a couple secret weapons. One is no longer going to be secret is a, a coach that I use named James Dumont. If he's listening, I, I love him dearly. He's an amazing actor and he coached me for that and helped me find some little nuances. And then I just went in and had fun. Some roles you just are more comfortable with and this was just fun. And I tend to always find the comedy in things. Sometimes sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good, but I just thought the whole thing was hilarious. You know, like I have this foot in my, in my, uh, it was so funny that the wardrobe had to make this big pocket. They sewed this big pocket into the inside of this army jacket I have on with a foot in it and it falls out mid scene. I mean, how can, how's that not supposed to be comedic, you know? No, I did. I saw that. I thought it was really, really funny. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how much of that was you and how much of that was in the script? How much did they let you run with it? I had to be word perfect on the day of shooting. Uh, the director was great. He worked with me a lot. The, the beginning really was me when I'm on the little horse thing that I'm riding on, and I could have fun with that. And obviously my nonverbal reactions, but you, I had to stay word perfect. So I would say half was me and half was the writing, because you, you got to add something to it, you know. Oh, definitely. And it, and it showed. It's a complete scene stealer. Um, and oh, I, thank you. I, I knew of The Rookie. I wasn't fully into it. And I think I saw the episode and it was before, obviously, I knew that you were in it. And suddenly when you showed up on that episode, I was like, oh, my God, that, that's Elizabeth. <laughs> I was just rolling in laughter. I was like, because the one great thing about you is you're one of these people who, when the work is out, that is when you talk about it. You're not one of these people who like, will, will constantly promote, oh, I've been on set doing this today, this today, this today. You know, sometimes stuff comes out and I had no idea you were in it. Yeah, I, I had it. to learn that the hard way. When I first moved out here, I auditioned for a, a guest star on CSI New York, a great scene with Gary Sinise. I did a great audition. I went in for a callback. I booked it. And then the next day, my manager calls and says, they went over their budget. You're not going to have the role. And I had told people. And not only was I disappointed, I was embarrassed. And then some things you shoot, like like I did a commercial over COVID, you shoot it. And then when the final product comes out, you're not in it. Mm. So yeah. it's, uh, I've learned it the hard way just to keep my mouth shut until I really am. You can see me. <laughs> I was in a TV show over here called Prey. Uh, it was the second series starring Philip Glenister. I don't know if you I don't know if you guys had uh, Life on Mars over there. I think that we did. Yeah. Uh, Philip Glenister was in... They had an American version of it. Probably. Um, and I got cast as a prison guard. And it was only a small role, uh, but I turned up on the set. I got into wardrobe and everything. I was playing against another actress, and I was guiding her uh, from one section of the prison to another while Philip Glenister's downstairs, and he's kind of like sneaking around. And I'd come back and I said, "Oh yeah, I'm in this. It's it's going to be it's going to be great. It's only a small role, but yeah, yeah." I sat down and watched it. You get like the briefest of brief glimpses of my back, and that's it. So yeah, you can go out and you can say to people, "Oh, I'm in this, that, and the other," but until he actually comes out, it's it could be everything or it could be nothing. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 sorry that happened, but it's it's just. I got paid and had a free lunch out of it. I don't care. You know what you did, <laughs> and and you know what you booked it. And that and that means you won that casting director over. So it's a win-win, really. Before we move on, uh, I do want to bring up one thing because Andy mentioned that you're in How I Met Your Mother, and I love that show. What what episode was that in? What did you do? Uh, I'm trying to think what episode. Uh, I don't I don't remember what season it was, but I played Bob Odenkirk's secretary, and it was him and Jason Siegel. And as I'm walking out of this boardroom where we just had a meeting, I guess Jason Siegel is standing there without any pants on. And I am embarrassed. Yes. And it was so much fun. But that was that was an, an earlier TV role I did. And it was I, I had to say my line on a certain step. So I had to count like eight steps. And I'm going to say this line. And for the first few text, takes, gosh darn it. I was not hitting my mark. They had to put sandbags down. I was a little embarrassed, but you know what? You live and learn. Jason Siegel was so 
fun. Bob Oden, Odenkirk was great. It was it was it was a it was a real fun time. I think I know the episode that you mean that you were in as well because I've seen that whole all of them way too many times. I'm not gonna lie. I'm now just... you've got to watch it again. <laughs> it's I know. a great show. Okay. Well, the great thing here is, as I mentioned before, you followed the path of many well-respected actors who've gone on to huge things by appearing in a ultra cheap Roger Corman movie. Yay. And in this case, oh, yay. And what was the movie called? Super Gator. Super Gator. <laughs> we, we love these movies. Right? Many actors would kind of view this as an area they, they fear they'd get stuck in or unable to escape from and kind of feel they're too good for it. But you love this kind of growth and you approach it very positively, don't you? And you know who has his earliest start with Roger Corman? It was Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors. Yep. So, and the other, the, 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 the main actors in this film were on series regulars on, on TV. And, and um, who's the main woman? I'm, I, I'm embarrassed. I forgot her name. She was in Top Gun. Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. All right. Kelly McGillis was in it. They had actually shot the film in Hawaii and they needed to add a bunch of scenes. So I was uh, one of the characters they added and they shot it in the Arboretum out in uh, out east. Uh, and it was super fun. We uh, got eaten by, by the Super Gator. There is absolutely <laughs> you know nothing wrong with a Roger Corman film. No, they are so guilty pleasure. Mega oh, yeah. Piranha is still one of my favorite like direct-to-video monster movies it is so ridiculous it's brilliant but the one thing i would have loved to have seen of super gator uh i would love to have seen a scene in there with ron surfing the super gator <laughs> so ron is uh ron burkhart commercial realtor to uh non-profits he's my better half and my cat daddy and he <laughs> has met andrew and loves him Yes. I, I love Ron. He is what an amazing guy he is. We also had the pleasure of meeting your very first guest, the beautiful and talented Becca. So that was a pleasure as well. We got to meet her in person. Yeah, it was like you met Becca for the first time I met Ron. It was uh, Capo Osen, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. At a good sushi restaurant. And it was so much fun. And Becca is awesome. You hear that, Becca? Uh, did you notice when we were at Capo Osen, I was checking the tea? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did they do it right? They did. Yeah, I've got to admit, they did do it right. The J Japanese, they, they know how to do tea, you know, in a, in, a, in a sushi restaurant. Okay. How crazy is it to have a wiki page for your appearance in Iron Man 2? Is there? Apparently. Okay, so that's another one of those projects that I got straight, straight up cut out of, and I don't know who made that, but thanks, that's cool. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> Uh, how often fans actually go into this kind of detail when the official documentation won't? Does it say anything interesting? It's, uh, it just says uh, Elizabeth J. Carlisle and I think the role of uh, Party Girl or whatever it was for Iron Man 2. Yes, it was at Tony Stark's birthday party. Right, so can you even be seen in the crowd at all or are you just totally cut? I think I was totally cut. Okay. It was a fun shoot, though. It was uh, it was eight days. I think eight, seven or eight days. It was fun. Uh, it was super cool. It, and in fact, you had to like leave your cell phone at the door when you came in. It was all very um, NDA esque. There you go. Mm. Wow. Well, never know. Maybe they're gearing up to bring you back as a variant. Oh man, I I I, I don't know what the probability is. It's low, but uh, I'm down. Hey, if uh, you know Marvel, uh, count me in. Yeah, knowing Marvel, you're probably the secret origin of a rather unknown superhero that may get brought back in the future. We don't know. I love it. I almost, almost could have had my own Marvel wiki page if it hadn't been for redirected flights, because I was due to go and have a, a walk-on for Agent Carter, because my friend Ralph Brown was the main villain on Agent Carter, and... Uh, he invited me to come along and have a walk on, do a bit of background. I was like, yeah, of course I will. And I got a redirected flight and all my luggage got lost. And I showed up like a, a day or two late. So, oh. Oh. yeah. So, yeah, I lost out on being in the, the first cancelled Marvel series. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. You you would have gotten food poisoning from, from um, craft services. Don't worry about it. Well, the rich Very and true. the ruthless. 
it's Ooh. it's a show that's not really known outside the US, uh, but it's been running for three seasons. You know what? We actually just launched season four, and it's streaming on BET. It launched uh, just really a couple months ago. Right. Yeah. Do you know if uh, if there's any that can be seen outside the US? Like, is it coming to Netflix in the near future at all? It, you can get it on Amazon Prime. Now, I don't know if you can get it on Amazon Prime outside of the U.S., but you can in the U.S. Okay. Um, but but it, it, uh, its channel is through BET+, Plus, the, the streaming service for BET. Okay, but I do know that it's a show which is a parody about a daytime soap opera. Uh, yes. So how have you found that bringing your comedic chops to full effect there? And how did you get oh. the role? I love it. Okay, so the audition was years ago with Victoria Rowell, who is the writer and director. Uh, my brother and I used to watch her on Young and the Restless, and uh, we loved her. So being able to go and audition with her and read with her was so exciting because I was a fan. She was also a ballet dancer, and I was as well. So I was just totally like, you know, fanning out on her. But the audition was great. We played, we had improv. And then um, they lost their funding. So a year or two later, I get a phone call uh, from my, my agent and they say, you know, Victoria Rowell um, is getting this going again. Do you want to do it? I'm like, uh, yeah. And the weird thing was I had literally just watched her as a judge on Law and Order SVU. It was like crazy. But anyways, I was I was so excited. And, then, and every year since we have shot a new season she really writes it um, as kind of making fun of her experience. And it really makes fun of the behind the scenes, you know, jealousy and cat fights and stuff. And now there's the main storylines are more dramatic, but my storyline and some others are quite comedic. Like my character gets made fun of a lot and she's fun. She's manipulative, highly sexualized. She's, you know, the soap opera star who's starting to get a little older and dealing with that. And it's, the costumes are fun. It's just a hoot. Well, of course, as I say, Ruthless got renewed for a third season during the pandemic as well. Yes. And we so renewed. So we actually shot the fourth season during the pandemic last fall. Wow. I mean, how, how crazy was that? I mean, as it wasn't expected. And obviously, and how different was it going into the same set, but with all the new safety precautions? It must have been pretty weird. It, it was weird. And sadly, a couple of the older characters um, who are hilarious opted out of this season. But it was weird. Like, there was a lot of testing. We were tested three days before we were on set. Um, in fact, they would test us on set every couple days. Um, if you're not acting, you know, in a scene, your mask has got to be on, but it went really smoothly. And I was really impressed with how safe I felt. No one got COVID on set and everyone just worked together to, to make it a, a successful event. We had a COVID compliance officer on set. He was great. He ended up getting a short, a small role. So, um, it was, I was nervous about COVID, but it, it turned out really well. Well, you've been working all over the place with countless shows. I mean, that's why it's just been so difficult to try and pin you down for this interview. But speaking of COVID, how have you found the industry's response to COVID as uh, things have been going on? Uh, well, it, it really shut down when the pandemic first started. It, I mean, it completely shut down. And that was a little bit depressing. I was going to sh be shooting a commercial and that got canceled, uh, never got rescheduled. There were no auditions you know, nothing. And then in the fall, things started happening a little bit, but still for me, it's been really, really quiet. I've, I've been auditioning a little bit more. It's picking up, but it's still been pretty quiet, but I've been keeping myself busy with a lot of acting training, casting workshops, writing. Uh, so, you know, you just got to make the best of the situation. It will come back. The industry will come back full and and we just have to have faith. Over the now, what has the future got going for Elizabeth? I mean, do we have some things that are incoming that we're going to want to see? Uh, right now, I'm working on getting my next job. I just had a big audition that I did the other day, so fingers crossed on that. I'll I'll let you know if anything comes of it. Um, but Hashtag right now, I'm just, life. 
Oh gosh, no, no. Um, <laughs> um, so right now I'm just working on getting my next job and, and just keeping my acting chops up so that I'm ready for when the opportunity comes. Well, hopefully we'll be seeing you down in Oklahoma soon enough. Oh, ooh, I'd love that. I, I just, I just want to work with you in, in any, any way or capacity. I just, I think it's awesome. You're another one of those people that prides themselves on work ethic. So yeah, you can go down there, Oklahoma, meet up with Mark Marshall, all hang out, drink some Oklahoma, da, da, terrible da, da, tea. Da, da, da. Oh God, oh yes, yeah, pre-sweetened uh, berry tea, elderberry. You're gonna have to take some over next time you go, Andy. <laughs> Just gonna have to take a box of PG with you. You're gonna have to bring it back to all your friends to, as proof. Well, no, PG tips does actually exist in LA. I want to. Old Nuts Head, like an Irish pub in Santa Monica, I believe. Yeah, that's right and, near me. Uh, yeah, right near you. I went to meet uh, a director friend of mine, Scott Wiper, there. And uh, it's all like proper traditional uh, English fish and chips and all stuff like that you can order as the meals. And he's like, says, oh, you know, I'm going to get some PG tips. Have you ever had PG tips? It's absolutely amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I think I've had PG tips. <laughs> you know, but, and it was like the one time where it's like, oh, my God. This is a British cup of tea <laughs> in Los Angeles. I, f I forgot that I was in L.A. That's how good that cup of tea was. It was like that moment in, um, it, it was one of those commercials here. In, you know where the guys start going in that bar and suddenly all those Irish guys feel like they're home? No. <laughs> it was like that moment with me where I got a cup of tea and I smelled it. I was like, oh, it smells good. And I took a sip of it and suddenly... I was back in England, <laughs> and then I walked outside, and the heat got me. But yes, uh, PG Tips does exist in the US. That's too bad that that's the only place in Los Angeles that you could find it. I know, it's oh, easier to get it's... cocaine in Los Angeles than it is a decent cup of tea. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, the, the, the city was built on cocaine. <laughs> I, I can get more things on the underground. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if there was like some 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 creepy looking guy who looks like a flasher with a trench coat, and on the inside of his trench coat, he's got like all these delightful English teas. But but you but you you got to go to like the special place, like in the scuzzy part of Hollywood, to get this, you know? Well, like Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, exactly. I saw a homeless guy massively Hollywood Boulevard. True story. <laughs> I was I was walking to get to Chateau Marmont and from Hollywood and Vine, I think it was. And there was a homeless guy just sat there, passed down to his knees, all the tourists walking by, cracking one off and saying, hey, how you doing? And uh, that was when you knew you arrived. It's, it's a public service, really, because, you know, when, when people are coming to Los Angeles as tourists, they want the full experience. And he was there giving it to them. And that's important work. Yes, it's very true. But I don't know. I was going to give him a dollar, but then I thought, is that solicitation? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> is that how they get you? Uh, that's ooh, exactly you might what have been undercover. <laughs> Obviously, uh, there's like, so much here to talk about in regards to this, and we all want to see the rich and ruthless. So all the people who are in the UK or anywhere around the world and they don't have access to the rich and the ruthless, this is one thing worth firing up your VPN and going on to Amazon Prime or any other channels that it might be shown on that you want to get access to. And Elizabeth is absolutely fabulous in it. And even though you're now on your fourth season, we're hoping that they're going to nominate five. Now's the time to nominate five. Nominate five, or three, or four, or six, or nine. Now's the time to nominate five. I love that song. <laughs> Took you a little by surprise that one, though, didn't it? It did. It did, and it takes me on all of your podcasts. It, it's. I think it takes everyone by surprise. It's, <laughs> it's so much fun. Gotta be on your toes when Nominate Five is around. Okay, so Andy, do you want to say what Nominate Five is? Nominate Five is where we ask our guest every single week to nominate their five favourites of certain things. And obviously it's very guest-centric, so we cater it to them. So when we had JL Eva on, it was uh, Nominate Five Best Anime Movies. When we had Bill Daly on, it was just give us seven Warner Brothers movies instead of five. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. 
you know and you know some people stick to it some people don't and with elizabeth here this week because she is such a female powerhouse performer i have asked her to nominate her five best female powerhouse performances of all time now, what are her do, favorites do i have to give this in a particular order uh <sighs> <laughs> how about this you know i will try okay well, let's go let's go on our usual failed top five countdown that never goes right we've got it right twice out of 13 shows i know oh, sorry. <laughs> no it's not even your fault it's just curse it's, it's cursed because we i don't know we say we're going to do a countdown of five and even a little bit okay uh i'm going to do it not in any order or in alphabetical order it's like no we, we wanted it in five but that's fine we'll just go from that elizabeth uh, okay I'll, I'll give you number five go on and then the, what's number five Okay, and and before I say this, I just want to say that it was so hard to choose. I I didn't. I just made an American actress list because if you ask me on again, I'm going to give you the British and and Australian women. But it was just too much. So here we go. Uh, yeah. Number five. Well, you are for Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> well, learn to act. Judy Dench well, is not amused. <laughs> I, I just really love British actresses, but okay. But we, ha I had to. I just did it this way, and the way it's going to be. Number five, Robin Wright in House of Cards. Oh yeah, I've never seen House of Cards, but I love Robin Wright. I have. I thought, yeah, she was great in that one. Um, and why? And, and she, and she. Oh well, well, she even carried it after Kevin Spacey didn't come back. She, her character, she played it so stone cold. And may might I add that her body looks amazing, okay? Oh, yes. She's a, a sexy, powerful woman in that show. And you kind of want to, if I wanted to be her, you know, it was just amazing. Oh yeah, she pulled that off superbly, without question. Like you say, was able to carry not only the show after Kevin Smith, uh, Kevin Smith? Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> she was able to carry the show after Kevin Spacey left due to reasons which we're not going to get into here. But right. yeah, she... She was an absolute powerhouse throughout the whole thing. Really was. So, okay, yeah. what is your number four? Number four is going to be Jodie Foster. And I, I'm i going to throw out both Silence of the Lambs and The Accused. Ooh, great if choice. I, if I'm allowed to do that. Uh, and you can kind of see where my, I, where my, my taste lies. But she was brilliant in both of those. Maybe even more brilliant in The Accused. I just love Jodie Foster. I, I just don't know what to say. And they're both amazing movies. You know the funniest thing about it? Jodie Foster, when she actually saw the film for the first time, she actually decided to kind of quit acting based on what she saw, mm. you know, and was totally blown away by the fact that she won an Oscar for it. I mean, she thought she had done a terrible job on that performance. It's not but an easy watch. she decided watch. to go back and get her grades. Yeah. In fact, all of the performances in that movie were brilliant. Uh, and um, the, uh, the woman from Super Gator was in that too. Elizabeth's turning into us when we're trying to name people from movies. We don't come up with the names. You say, oh, it was um, Lo Lois Lane, um, yeah. the guy who dealt the cards in the croupier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy who was in that movie that was like the other movie that came out last year. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. No, that's a fantastic choice. Who we got for number three? Number three, Juliet Lewis in Cape Fear. Okay, it no, is probably my. Fear. It's probably my, and this is the, the 1991 Cape Fear with Robert De Niro. This is probably my favorite film of all time. You could probably teach acting from this film, from every person's performance, and Scorsese was Agreed. brilliant in his filming. But Juliet Lewis played the perfect teenage daughter who i mean there were the scene where um where her father is yelling at her it was just such a she was such a perfect teenage girl in this and i i just will always love her in that film and and in everything she does i just love juliette lewis she's a badass yeah she is have you seen cape fear steve i have yes oh. i have awesome. uh, although i i will i will actually hold my hands up um I am actually probably more familiar with the episode of The Simpsons where they do the parody of Cape Fear. Such a bop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's hilarious. So, go up. What is your second choice? 
Well, Jessica Lange in Cape Fear. Oh, right. Oh. And also from the feud, Betty and Joan, Jessica Lange's performance in Cape Fear. Uh, I, I don't want to give, if anyone hasn't seen the film, she, near the end of the film, is pleading. She, she is using the best tactics an actress can use in the given circumstance to get her objective. And her relationship with her husband in this is so realistic. And she goes on an emotional roller coaster. She's yelling at one minute. And she also has this sexuality about her. A- another brilliant performance in Cape Fear. No, fully agreed. And a nice swerve there. Mm. So, okay. With all those powerhouses in mind, what takes the number one spot for Elizabeth J. Carlisle? Glenn Close, Fatal Attraction, Runner Up, Dangerous Liaisons. But Fatal Attraction, I mean, that is, again, you can teach acting from her performance. I don't even know what to say. I could watch that movie over and over again. She's brilliant and you feel for her. And and she's just at the height of the meaning and completely filled in and always going for her objective. She's a brilliant actress. I love this one scene in Fatal Attraction. I think it's after... Uh, Michael Douglas has confronted her. It's like pinned her to a wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she just has this stare, you know, as the camera kind of pulls back and it takes its time in doing it as well, where she is just staring him out. And she's doing nothing but this stare, but it says everything about this character's psyche. She holds it so brilliantly. And you never know what she's going to do next. It, it, it's, 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 uh, it's riveting. And it keeps you on the edge of your seat, every scene with her. No, it's, it's full agreement. That is a great choice for number one. And Dangerous Liaisons as well, which is also a movie that Gillian chose on her Nominate 5. Yes, she as, did. Uh, one of her favorite edited movies. I love uh, that film. Oh, It is. It is a shock. I actually watched that for the first time earlier this year. Because uh, the main reasons why I hated Cruel Intentions and I thought I wouldn't like this movie. Yeah, well, but, that was Cruel Intentions. Uh, it, it was Cruel Intentions, which was just, oh, it's painful And they used so much beautiful Baroque Bach music and the costumes and, you know, John Malkovich is just at his best. Yeah, it is. It's a fabulous film. For those who haven't seen it, you should go and see that movie. Okay, well, that is an amazing Nominate 5 from Elizabeth J. Carlyle. Uh, even though there's a couple of sneaky ones put in there. I yeah, but we're used hard, to sneaky it's hard ones. To narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very hard to narrow it down. But yeah, everyone else gets away with it, so you might as well get away with well, it too. Thank you. Well, I guess that there's only one question that we have left to ask. Um, I want to know what's in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> edit that in. Oh yeah, that's edit staying that in. in. That's that's staying in the edit. That's actually going in at the beginning before that music comes in. Oh yeah, without question. Okay, so Steve, what's in the box? Well, What's in the Box is a segment of the show where Andy tries to improve my movie education by trying to get me away from all of the Michael Bay-infused action movies that I usually watch and getting me into more cultured cinema, or at least more interesting, more highbrow, more valued cinema. And to do this, he's going to pull out a name of a film from a box which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and then if I haven't seen it, I go away and watch it the night before we record our next podcast. If I have seen it, then we pick out another one until we find one that I haven't seen. So, Andy, what have you got for us this week? Well, while you were giving your lengthy diatribe, I decided to plough my digits into the box and pull out a seasonal classic for you. Mm -hmm. There's something very bizarre about watching a Christmas-centered movie in July. Is it Die Hard? No. no. And you've seen it anyway, so that would go out. And I guess it really just uh, balances on if you have seen Tim Allen's The Santa Claus. Yes. You have. Oh, you, you got away with that one. That's fine. Yes, it did. Come on. Okay. okay, I will delve into the box again. To be honest, I'm surprised that the Santa Claus is certified fresh. I didn't think it was that good, to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh. 
disrespectful bastard. That's Father Christmas you're talking about. Okay, um, your next choice. Enter the Dragon. Seen it. Oh my god, two in a row. Two in a row. This is this is unprecedented. Have you seen both of those, Elizabeth? Um, no, but I did like Tim Allen and Galaxy Quest. Well, yes. Uh, the next in the box is Brian De Palma's Carlito's Way. No, I haven't. So, okay, that's okay. going to be on the menu for this week. Perfect. Have you seen Carlito's Way? No, Those I ones? have not. No. <gasps> that, that means you've got to go and watch it as well. I think you'd I, love I, that. I will. I think it speaks to your sensibilities. Uh, Al Pacino, Penelope Ann Miller, Sean Penn in an absolutely amazing role. So you'll enjoy it. A gangster film for you, Steve. And uh, also GTA Vice City. I know it took a load of influence from that. So it's going to be interesting for me as a gamer to see exactly where all those cues came from. I thought they took influence from Scarface. Uh, they took influence from loads of stuff. Uh, Scarface, Serpico, um, Kelly Osway. You know, so any... All of the Pacino movies, basically. Yeah, basically. If it was in a movie that took place anywhere near in or around the 1980s, then it was fair game. Well, you're going to enjoy this one, and I look forward to your feedback. And all of you people who are listening, join us and watch Carlito's Way the night before uh, the next podcast and uh, join in the conversation. Yeah. We want to hear your thoughts on it. We want to hear some history, even if you've worked on it. You know, a lot of people who actually listen to this podcast are people from the industry. If you've worked on it, you want to tell some stories about it, let us know, you know, and I'll throw them into the review when we do it. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Facebook at Pottywood, you can follow us on Twitter at Pottywood, and you can also hop onto our subreddit at r slash Pottywood. There you go. Yes, and you can also join us on Pottywood After Dark in our luxurious jazz bar setting where we basically just talk even more, I guess. Yes, and swear. And swear. And that's on Patreon. We swear specifically just for you people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's been really hard to try and get all this time together. Thank you. I, I apologize about that. It's just been a crazy time, and I have had the most fun with you guys today. Thank you so much. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Hopefully we can get you back on again, and that Andy's sound won't be so god-awful. Well, to be honest, it just needs to be done at a better time of day, I think. I think as soon as it gets past 6 o'clock here... It's terrible. We know for now. But yes, you've been an absolute yeah. joy to have on. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. And next time I can give you some of my favourite British actresses. Oh, yay. Yay. There are some. There are some, so Ooh. get listening. Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson. Ooh. You know, there's, that's two Emma Thompsons. You do know there's only one of them. Oh, uh, what about a third one? Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson. Ooh. There we go. <laughs> Emma Thompson cubed, not squared. Yes. <laughs> I'm just imagining just the universe exploding out of Emma Thompson and then just replicating itself so that every cell and atom is just Emma Thompson. I mean, that wouldn't be too bad, right? No. Okay, well, we are going to wrap things up. <laughs> because it's gotten to that time of night. It's actually here in the UK. It is now 9pm at night. Yes. My stomach started rumbling probably a while ago and I can't go home yet because I've got to go to our jazz bar setting and have a few drinks with Steve to really blow out the episode. Yes. Uh, but for now though, you have been listening to Pottywood. So you take care now, you hear? <laughs> Tequila. Tequila. <laughs>